You were reading out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the chance to be here this morning. As Brent mentioned, we are uh, not worthy, we're not good, we're not righteous. So we thank you for accepting us as we are. We thank you for uh, Scott and his family, uh, their willingness to join us this morning, and the uh, prep that he's put into diligently and accurately handling your word. Oh, we thank you for the partnership you've given us with Redeemer, just what an encouragement they've been um, and the example they are to us. And we uh, pray you'd open our hearts and our minds and pray you would uh, protect Scott as he teaches. Pray you'd give us ears to hear your word and that we would be doers of that word and not only hearers. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Jimmy and Brent. We'll see here. I'm going to turn this so I can. This um, I'm going to preach longer. I guess they gave me this water. I'm going to use a bigger one. It's all right. Um, it's good to be with you. Um, I'm never. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me what Rick will do for attention. Um, I've known him for for a long time now and he and Brent good friends of ours and putting a drill in his hand I'll tell you man we need to pray for that brother no I, lo- I do love your your pastors we have, have an immense respect for them I consider them friends and partners in the gospel and um, I want you to know that Redeemer um, we don't we don't take your church planting work here lightly we really we pray for you um, on a weekly basis we pray for you as a congregation um, we have been we, we were exactly where you guys are six years ago and um, and the, we have just seen the Lord do amazing and wonderful things um, and there are different seasons in that process right many of you are probably gardening right now and you're putting some plants in the ground and and um, it's hard work it's cultivation it's watering it's watching it's praying it's hoping it's dreaming um, it's struggling right with the bugs sometimes or, or having to put some fertilizer on it and so I just want to say to you keep at it you know keep your eyes focused on the Lord um, be devoted to prayer I love this morning just seeing how much um, you guys are praying um, God hears his, the prayers of his people um, this morning, I'm going to try my best to, um, to squeeze myself into your series. So I haven't been here. You've had the benefit of being here and, and working your way through Philippians. Um, I'm going to parachute into um, chapter 2. Um, I did listen to, to Rick's message last week, so I have somewhat of an idea kind of um, what he addressed. And so he talked about humility, um, God's glory and humility. And I'm going to, um, the, the theme that I have is really the same. Paul doesn't really change gears in the rest of um, this section of Scripture. It's the same theme, which is the theme of humility. 
But the change that happens is Paul now gives an example of that humility. So just in case we're wondering, um, after the passage we looked at last week, well, what would that look like to be humble? What would it look like um, to consider the interest of others above my own? And that's what you guys talked about last week. Um, and so what we're going to see today is that the glory of God, um, we're going to look at the glory of God in the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus' example of humility is the point of the passage um, that Jimmy just read for us. Um, and in order to do that, let me just introduce you to, hopefully I don't lose some of you on, um, on a sports illustration. I'm not a huge, huge sports fan. I mean, I enjoy sports, but... Um, and some of you might, but, but hang in there if you're not a sports fan with me for just a moment. Um, there's a very popular sports writer um, back in the early 1900s, um, Grantland Rice. And some of you might um, recognize that name. He was a poet. Um, he was a, he's written books on sports history. But at the time, he would just attend sports events and then write. But he's the, he's the sports writer who started writing um, articles on sports games and making these players larger than life. Um, he's the one who many sports writers kind of modeled themselves after. He was a heroic sports writer to, to many sports writers. Let me tell you why. And believe it or not, even if you're not a sports fan, you know one of his um, quotes. So hang in there. I'm going to get there. Um, but for those of you who do enjoy sports, you'll know that he is um, probably um, most famous for his 1924 Notre Dame um, the Fighting Irish football team against the, the Army football team. And this is, that was the game in which, in his writing, he talked about the four horsemen. Have you ever heard that term? It's an apocalyptic biblical term, isn't it? Um, but he took that term from the book of Revelation and started describing football players, um, these, these um, players for Notre Dame, as the four horsemen. Um, and that's what be, kind of got things going. Listen to this quote um, when he was writing about that game in 1924 between Notre Dame and the Four Horsemen um, and the, the Army. Listen to what he says. Outlined against a blue-gray October sky, the Four Horsemen rode again. In dramatic lore, they are known as famine, pestilence, destruction, and death. He's writing about football. These are only aliases. Their real names are Strudire, Miller, Crowley, and Layden. They, they formed the crest of the South Bend Cyclone, before which another fighting army team was swept over um, at the polo grounds this afternoon with 55,000 spectators peering upon the field in, in bewildering panoramic spread on this green plain below. So you just see the crowd. I mean, these are like guys who like sports don't really like poetry, right? I mean, that's not the normal mix, but he starts getting guys um, excited about the game by using um, these types of, of, of words. Here's the one all of you know, and, and I'll get to my point in just a minute. Um, here's, here's a poem he wrote called The Alumnus Football. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Another, by the way, biblical um, metaphor. He says, you find the bread line hard to buck and fame's goal far away, but hit the line and hit it hard across every rushing play. For when the one great scorer comes to write against your name, he marks not that you won or lost, but how you play the game. Does that ring a bell? You heard that as a kid, didn't you? It doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Well, that comes from um, uh, Grantland. Rice, the famous sports writer of the early 1900s. Um, that's actually not what I want you uh, to know about, but I did want to set a context for you. Um, one of his fellow 
writers, sports writers, told a story about him that I want to share with you. Red Smith was a good friend, another sports writer, and this is a story he liked to tell about Grantland Rice in regards to his humility. Um, often um, great people struggle with this, don't they? They're not often humble people. Um, but here's a story that he tells, and I'll just make it short for you. So basically, um, there's another um, Notre Dame Army game, which is a pretty intense rivalry during this time. And um, so Grantland Rice loses his press ticket. He's a famous sports writer. I um, mean, he loses his ticket and he goes to the gate and says, hey, I'm, uh, I, I'm a sports writer. I need to get in there. And they say, yeah, right. You know, he is carrying a typewriter, by the way. So they didn't believe him. They send him away from the gate. And he's the most famous, one of the most famous sports writers of the time. And so he walks down the road to a scalper, buys a ticket, buy, and goes and sits in the seat that that ticket um, aff- affords him, and then on, opens his typewriter and on his lap writes his version of the game. And at the end, he makes his way out of the stands into the press box, and, and Red Smith is there and says, where have you been? He says, I just I lost my ticket, had to get a seat. Um, and, and write the game up in the, up in the stands with the crowd. And he says, why didn't you tell them who you were? Why didn't you just throw your weight around a bit? And listen to what his response was. He says, to tell you the truth, I don't weigh much. <laughs> and he actually wasn't talking, I don't think, about his weight. He, in his own understanding of who he was and his success in life, he didn't view himself very greatly, did he? And that though thousands of people around the nation thought he was great and mighty and wonderful and his pen was powerful when he wrote, the reality was he didn't think that highly of himself. That is a, a modern illustration of humility, to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. There's no greater illustration, though, than the one that we're going to look at today in the book of Philippians, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of all things, humbled himself. Look with me, if you would, um, at the text again. Verse 5, Have this mind, Paul says to the Philippians, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. You see that? Humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the heart of um, what I want to talk to you about this morning is the example of Jesus Christ in regards to humility. The first thing I want you to see is that humility begins with the mind. Often people want to be humble. They, they try to contemplate how to be humble, but then they don't do the, the, the work of what, it, what humility requires, and that's some mental Olympics. By the way, I do not mean you need to be intellectual in order to be humble. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to read a bunch of books to be humble. Um, some of the most humble people I've ever met were just blue-collar, uneducated, hardworking men and women who loved God and feared God and we're humble people. It isn't a matter of intelligence, but it does involve the mind. It does involve the mind. Look with me in this passage again. The reason I had Jimmy read from verse 1, I knew you already covered that, but I wanted to point something out to you. Look in verse 2. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. Having the same love and being in accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. That can also be 
translated, by the way, consider or to think, the, an issue of the mind. Verse 4, let each of you look not, own t- not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others and have this mind. Look in verse 6, speaking about Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count. That can also be translated just like the word count earlier, which is to consider or to think. Paul's writing this, I think, <laughs> using this word so many times for guys like me, you know, people who are a bit hard-headed and maybe don't get it. His point was you've got to use your mind. You've got to think about this if you want to walk in humility. You can't just look at Christ and go, wow, how humble. I hope I can be like that one day and not engage your mind further and think humility is going to come. It doesn't come. By and large, we, by our very nature, are proud, aren't we? We're, we just we struggle with pride daily. And the reality is without a rigorous commitment of giving our thought life to the Lord Jesus by submitting it to his word, without that, there will be no humility. Not lasting humility. You'll be the guy or gal, gal who's humble here and humble there, but in reality just goes back and forth like a roller coaster, up and down, humble some days and proud the others. But if you want a consistent trajectory towards Christ-like humility, you have to commit to change your thinking. Your thought life has to change. Before we go any further, let me just um, introduce you to a biblical idea. Um, This biblical idea is, is the idea that the mind and the heart are synonymous. The Bible interchanges those words. If I had time, we could go through and just show you some examples of that, but we don't. So, so trust me, the, 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 the Bible's going to use the mind and the heart synonymously. Here's what the Bible's doing. The Bible's basically saying um, what you think is what you want in your heart. What you think about is what you want in your heart. And what you want in your heart, you're thinking about. Your mind and your heart are, are, are tied together. You cannot separate them. The heart, in the way that the Bible describes it, um, is the seat of the affections. Um, it's, it's where your wanter is. <laughs> it, it, when you want stuff, when you desire something, um, that's what the Bible calls the heart. It's the seat of the affections. So the things that you want in life, um, the Bible says that those are sitting on your heart. And then the Bible says that what's in your heart will eventually come out of where? Out of your mouth. And so how we speak and what we say eventually comes out. But what I'm getting at is the biblical idea is that the the heart and the mind are tied together and the mouth will eventually reveal what's in there. And it's important that you understand that when Paul's saying engage your mind. He's not just saying become smarter. He's saying begin to think biblically. Begin to think the way that Christ teaches us to think so that our heart begins to change. So humility is actually going to begin here. Thinking about how, what is humility? How can I be humble? What does it look like for me to be humble in this particular situation? You're going to have to start to engage the mind. Well, what would God have me do in this situation in order to live humbly? And then as we begin to think about the scriptures. We begin to think about the Lord Jesus, taking thoughts captive unto the Lord Jesus. God starts pouring Holy Spirit water on our hearts and humility, the seed of humility, begins to grow. It begins to sprout and eventually in our lives we'll see fruit and other people around you before you know it will say, you're different. You don't blow up like you used to. 
Or, or your spouse will say like, she, I'm sure it happens with a lot of husbands, but he's standing his ground, he's making his points, and she says, I, I think you're wrong. And he says, you, you might be right. And she's kind of like, what did he just say? Did you say I might, can you say that again? And, uh, I might be right? Like where is that coming from? But ultimately when, when a man or a woman begins to conform to the Lord Jesus Christ and humility begins to birth in the heart, people see it. Jesus, we're going to see by the end of this passage, is glorified. So humility begins in the mind. It's not just an issue of the mind. The heart is involved as our thought life is changing. Let me just give you a few Bible passages that would prove this point in case you're wanting to dig a little further this week. 1 Peter 1.13, listen to what it says. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how he, he calls the church to act by engaging the mind, their thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Take every thought captive to obey Christ. The rigorous engagement of the mind. You've got to think about this. Listen to Paul as he talks to the church at Rome. Do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So listen, whether you're a child in here today, you're a, you're a youngster, or whether you are um, more mature in your years, and reaching the end of your life, no matter where you are on that scale, if you love God, you should be on a pursuit of holiness. And if you are in fact on a pursuit of holiness, you should be on a pursuit for humility. And if you're on a pursuit for humility, you must begin to think about the things of God, the Word of God. If you want your mind to be renewed, you're going to have to do that in and through the Word of God. So I hope you can agree with me that the first place you've got to begin in this issue of humility is embrace this call. Verse 5, by the way, is, is an imperative statement in the Greek. And I, I don't know a lot of Greek. I'm not even going to try to tell you that. Um, but what I do want you to know that it, it's very obvious in the Greek that this is imperative, which means it's a command. He's saying, you must do this, Philippians. This whole book, by the way, he's talking about unity, isn't he? Churches being united together, living in love, walking together in unity. And the way he tells them they have to live, live um, in unity is to, to be humble with each other and to walk in the humility of Christ. And in order to do that, they have to have their thought life aimed in the right direction and engaged. So he commands them, have this mind. But the second thing, and by the way, this sermon only has two points, so you'll be, you'll be happy to know that. I won't reveal how long those two are. But the second point that I want to point out to you, the first is simply that humility is a command. It's a command that involves the engagement of the mind. But the second, I want you to see the pattern of humility. Um, the pattern of humility. And Christ is our example. So let's just work our way through these verses together and try to understand what this pattern of humility is is look in verse 6 he says that we should have this mind among our uh, among ourselves 
which is yours in Christ. And then verse 6, he's going to introduce us to the pattern of the Lord Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let's stop right there and let me just try to briefly explain to you what's going on. So the first thing in walking that we see in Christ's pattern of humility is this idea that he didn't think about himself first. So when you say, okay, I'm interested, Scott, in in being more humble. That sounds like that's something I should do. I should grow in humility. I want to honor the Lord Jesus in my life. I have a lot of conflict at times. I want to grow in humility. I would say Jesus begins and would call, and Paul would command us and call us to come along with the Lord Jesus. He would begin by saying, stop thinking about yourself. So listen to this. This issue of Jesus being in the form of God, but not counting, not thinking, not considering with his mind, equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He's not thinking about himself. He had a lot to think about, by the way. Now, you and I, I'm sure you're a very impressive human being, all of you in the room. I'm sure if we sat down and interviewed you, you'd just be impressive. You could probably, all of us are probably capable of being so impressive that we could be on the front of Time magazine. I'm sure you're all at that level of um, greatness. However, surely you'd agree with me the Lord Jesus is far greater than any other humans ever walked the face of this earth. His greatness is, it's uncomprehendable, his level of greatness. And yet that glory that the Lord Jesus had, that word form, um, is a word scholars love to debate, but I won't bore you to death. But that issue that um, he was in the form of God is talking about his majesty. Jesus had a majesty in heaven that he was willing to give up, to not think about, to begin to think about us sinners on that earth needing salvation, needing atonement and redemption, needing our iniquities covered. He, he, didn't, he didn't consider, think, put his thought life on his form, his majesty, but he put his thoughts on someone else, on us. That's where Christ-like humility starts, is be stop thinking about ourselves. Stop being so impressed with us. And Jesus had so much more, right, than we do. We get so hung up on what we want, what we think, and what we want to do in life. And yet Jesus, who has all power and all glory, turns away from that and comes to earth to serve mankind. What a beautiful picture of humility. Let me just tell you really quick about this glory that he gave up in case you think it was no big deal. This glory that he gave up is the, is the kind of glory that the, the Bible says it lights the heavens. There, there doesn't need to be a burning planet in heaven called the sun because the glory of God shines so brightly. That's the glory that Jesus gave up to come to earth. Uh, This is the glory that came to the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you churchy people will know about that, won't you? Uh, That's a story about where Jesus takes some disciples up a mountain and and then God the Father shows up and some other impressive men show up and Jesus changes, transfigures right before those disciples and he's, he's bright, something's going on. He's like a light bulb all of a sudden. It's glory came upon him. And we get a picture of that in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying to the Father. And listen to the words of his prayer. Jesus prays to the Father and he says, um, Father, return to me the glory that was mine before the world existed. 
Jesus knew what he had given up, and it hurt to give it up, to leave his kingly majesty behind and to take on the likeness of humanity, his creatures. Think about that for just a moment. The creator taking on the likeness of his creatures that he might come and do what? So that he would come and judge and reign and smack people around? No, it says that he would take on this form of a servant. He would come to serve. So Jesus took his eyes off of himself and off of his glory for a time and put his thoughts on us. And that's where the scriptures, Paul uses this phrase, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. And then he further describes what he means by that emptying of self. He empties himself of that, that majesty, that glory, that kingly status in heaven and then being born in the likeness of men. So the creator takes on the image of his creatures. In case you think that was a small thing, think about this for just a moment. So Jesus, in eternity past, before the incarnation, before he comes and is born of a virgin, he doesn't, he's not bound by this. He's not bound by flesh. He takes on flesh in the incarnation. Takes on that. Never, listen, never to put it off again. Does he rise from the dead as a spirit and then ascend into heaven? Some false teachers tried to proclaim that and explain away the resurrection. No, he, he had a resurrection body. He would never put off that likeness again. And the next thing you see in this passage, look, he doesn't only take his eyes off himself and put his eyes on others, but he commits himself to sacrifice and obedience. If you want to walk in humility, let me just be very frank with you, it will take sacrifice on your part. It will require your obedience. I don't mean that in some kind of, some kind of list-making, legalistic, law-abiding way. I don't mean it's not a checklist of obedience. It's, it's, a, it's a man or woman, boy or girl, who realizes all that God has done for them in Christ. That they had sinned against God. And Christ came and dealt with that iniquity by dying on a cross that their sins might be paid for. It's the man or woman who realizes the, the wealth of that grace that we've been singing about all morning. The wonder of that love. And then says, oh my, my Lord, my God, my King. I can, I can do nothing but obey you. I want to obey you. Paul would say to the Lord, I'm a slave to Christ. He would say that joyfully, not in a demeaning way, but in a joyful way because he knew all that God had done for him. And he would reflect with his mind so often in his thoughts, you see it in the scriptures, what God had done for him. He never got over what God had done for him. And if you're going to walk in humility with sacrifice and obedience, don't forget what God has done for you. That is the fuel that burns in the human heart and catapults one to turn away from serving themselves and two, serving needy people. Is what God has done for us in the gospel, 
It gives us joy. It helps us serve one more Sunday in a children's class when we're feeling burned out, doesn't it? Helps us knock on one more door, serve one more meal, or invite another needy person into our home when we feel like we need to rest and we don't have time and I just don't know. It gives you that courage to invite that coworker to lunch to talk about the gospel again because of the joy of what God has done for us. So sacrifice and obedience are required when it comes to walking in Christ-like humility. This is the pattern. Do you see the pattern of the Lord Jesus? Not considering himself, thinking about others, taking the form of servitude, serving others. Remember when the king of all glory washed the feet of the disciples? I mean, what a baffling picture that he would serve like that. They would bow himself and wash nasty, dirty, sandaled feet. I, I never, in thinking about Jesus serving others, I had never known quite the power of that illustration until I had gone to South Asia, just recently, by the way. Last month, a team of us went to South Asia from Redeemer um, to a Muslim-closed country and began, we're, we're working with a team of um, missionaries there to try to, to try to begin to sow the seeds of the gospel in a dark, dark place a place where it's illegal to be Christians, a place where it's illegal to even proclaim the gospel. There are no um, public missionary presence in this place. But that's not what I'm telling you that about. That's why I went. But when I got there, I traveled through airports and through cities and in taxis and in my travels. It was, I was in a part of the world that wore sandals. And I had never been. I've been to the beach where people wore sandals or flip-flops. But, you know, this beach sand's not real dirty and it's not a big deal. But to be in a, a sandaled culture was altogether different. To be barefoot, walking with sandals all over cities of dirt and clay. And then one day sitting in one of my friend's homes, a missionary in South Asia, I just looked at all of our feet. And it could, I'm ashamed to say this, I, I thought about, should I wash them? And I thought, I don't know, they'd probably freak out, think that was really weird. And I chickened out, I didn't do it, so don't think highly of me, I'm nothing impressive on me. But, but what I was so impressed with was the Savior didn't chicken out. Dirty, sandaled feet, he washes their feet, he serves them, servitude. What a picture of humility. Here's something I want to point out about Jesus' um, obedience and his sacrifice. It was a learned obedience and sacrifice. It's not something that you or I are going to get in a moment. God, I'm praying. Just God, I'm praying I'll be obedient right now. Help me be obedient. It's not that kind of thing. Obedience and sacrifice is more like a workout. You got to train yourself for obedience. Train yourself for sacrifice. Hebrews 5.8, listen to this. Although he was a son, speaking of the Lord Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Did you know that might be why you're going through some trials in your life? God just might want to teach you something magnificent, something wonderful, something that he couldn't teach you unless he trained you in that suffering moment. I was talking to a friend yesterday. We were eating dinner with them, and, and she was talking about she, how she has, a, uh, um, she has a, per, a personal trainer now, she was telling us. And, and she said, yeah, I was up early in the morning, and it's kind of embarrassing, she said, but I, I run with a parachute on my back. 
Like that's, I'm training. And I, and I said, that's not embarrassing. That's like hardcore. That's like NFL. Like you're, people will drive by and think impressive stuff. Like you're running with a parachute. I can barely run and you're running with a parachute. My, my point is she was, she said, but I'm totally different person. Like now that I've got that personal trainer, I'm running with shoots, I'm doing workouts. Like I feel so different because she's doing what? But guess what? It's hard. She doesn't want to get up and go most mornings. But as she works those muscles, now she's feeling alive and she's feeling strong and having more energy. And that principle is the same with obedience. That we can learn obedience as we work our muscle of faith, trusting God. And, and then when you fail, you, get, you get, at, get to work and there's a trial, something's going wrong and you kind of lose it or you blame someone or you refuse to accept responsibility or something just goes wrong at work and then you go back to your office in the stillness of the moment and you think, I, I, I blew that. That's, the Lord's not pleased with that. I shouldn't have said that or I should have taken the fall for that one. Or maybe it was my team member's fault, but I should have... I should have helped bear that burden. Maybe you're regretting that. That's a wonderful opportunity to work towards obedience. To say, oh, I didn't fail just to be a failure. God wants to teach me and train me. And so then I can go to my coworker and say, hey, forgive me for not bearing that burden with you. And you can go to your boss and say, you know, I, d- I just want to say something. I'm a Christian. And I've been sitting in my office thinking about how I just didn't own up to that. But you work that muscle of obedience training yourself. Well, in conclusion, this is my secret third point. <laughs> That's wrong. Isn't it? it really is two points. Um, but Paul changes gears at this point. After he says that Jesus, in verse 8, being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most gruesome death, right? As bad as it gets. And let me say this, by the way, about obedience. This, this is where I struggle the most. When do I stop? Like, when, Rick talked last week about consider, consider the interest of others before your own. That's, that's, that's humility, right? But do you ever get to the point where you're like, well, when am I a doormat? Like, at what point have I considered their interest too far and too long? And I, I'm giving, I'm just, they're just, everybody's stomping on me everywhere. And I'm just, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about at all. But here's the reality. When should you quit when you're dead? That's when Jesus stopped, and he didn't even stop then, but you get my train of thought. We don't quit. The devil's going to convince you, you've been too patient too long. It's time to rise up in rebellion and say your peace. It's time to make yourself known. It's how we do things in the world, right? Your, 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 your job place, they respect that. But be careful with that. Be careful with that train of worldly thinking. Jesus considered, considered the interest of others all the way to hanging on a cross, and even then he did not quit. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And there he choked and died on that cross for us that we might have an example. Not just for atonement purposes, though that is the primary reason Jesus died, But Paul argues in this passage so that also we would have an example to follow. And look in verse 9. This is where he ends. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what I want you to know. Humility is the pathway. Let me change that. Humility is the highway to exalting the triune God that we serve. Let me say that again. Humility is the highway to exalting the triune God that we serve. Do you, wanna, do you want God to be visible in your life? Do you want your neighbors, your spouse, your children, your family members to see Jesus Christ in you, in your thoughts and in your actions, in the way you spend your money, in the way that you work your job? Do, do you want Jesus, do you want the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God that we worship, this majestic triune God, do you want Him to be exalted in your life? If you do, commit yourself to walking this highway of humility. The world takes note when we walk in humility. They're not as impressed, by the way, when you achieve the same goals at your workplace the same way everyone else did by stomping on the people underneath you. People in the, in, in the, um, the marketplace aren't impressed when you finagle them down to the same prices that are below the worth of products just because that's the way of the world and it's what we do. That's not going to get anyone's attention. So when you're a Craigslister, don't just try to get it for the least you can. Shock somebody and say, I think it's worth this and I'm willing to pay that. And I'm a Christian, so I believe we'll answer for... I had a guy ask me one time, like, why, why, do you wanna, why would you want to pay? Like, why are you saying that? And I had the chance to say, oh, I'm a Christian. I think it's... We're, my, all, all my actions are going to be before the Lord one day. So I might hide it from you and get 10 bucks out of this, but the Lord sees it. And he was just like, whoa. I just never, never... He wasn't expecting that. But the reality is I had a gospel opportunity by trying to walk in a little bit of humility. So this highway of humility will lead to the exaltation of Christ. There's one warning I want to give you, and we'll close with this. The, the warning in reading this passage could be that we might think, okay, so, if, so Jesus was humble in his example, and then God exalted him. So if I am humble, then I am going to get good things. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to get everything I want in life through humility. And I want you to know that that is the prosperity gospel. That is idolatry. Don't fall for that trick of Satan. We don't walk in humility so that we'll get things from God. We walk in humility to exalt God. To say that God is enough for me. I don't need more money. I don't need a better job. I don't need a bigger house. God is enough for me. I walk in humility because God has called me to humility and because my Savior was humble and I walk in humility for His exaltation and glory, not for my own. Here's the wonderful part in that. You could say, well, then we kind of lose out, don't we? So we give everything up in this life and Jesus gets all the glory and God's all happy and then there we are, just little minions of His kingdom, like those little yellow guys on, on Despicable Me. Like we're just there to serve and exalt him and scream and clap when he does good things. And No, not at all. You see, when here's the neat thing. If you're not a Christian today, listen to this for just a minute. God laid, God sent Christ that our sins might be laid upon him so that he would bear our punishment. That a, that a transaction would take place. We 
who were sinful and undeserving would be able to gain his rewards. We win when Christ wins. That's what the Christian church has declared for over 2,000 years, is we don't have to win because he won, and we are his, and he is ours. And so Jesus has slaves in his kingdom. That's us. But here's the wonderful truth. Jesus makes his slaves brothers and sisters. We have his inheritance with him. So when Jesus is exalted, we win. And our joy is found in him. And so let me encourage you, commit your your mind this morning, afresh and anew, to drown your thinking in the scriptures every morning or, or lunchtime or night, whenever it works for you, sink your mind in the scriptures and seek to walk humbly in this world for the glory of God and the good of all people. We're going to take just a minute now and try to process this. We don't just believe the, that the word should be preached, but we believe we should respond to the word. And so I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything crazy, but I, I will tell you this. I want you right where you're sitting to contemplate, where am I in this whole spectrum of humility? Have I never responded to Christ's humility? And do I need to contemplate today making him my Savior and Lord? Or maybe I've, maybe I've been a Christian for a long time, but I've been walking in pride and self-righteousness and self-concern. And so maybe today you need to repent afresh and anew to commit yourself to Christ-exalting humility, Christ-exalting servitude to others. Let's pray as the team comes to lead us in song. Father, we need you so desperately to help us in this. I feel like I'm the last person on this earth that should preach a message on humility. But God, I know you've called us to this, all of us as a, as a church family. And not just this church, but your church universal. All over the world, you've called us to this, this life of humility before our brothers and sisters in this world. And so God, would you help us? Would you bring those of us to repentance who need to repent today of walking in pride and turn to Christ and follow him in a life of humility and service to others. And God, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you at all, I pray that they wouldn't leave this building without coming to talk to me or to Pastor Bren or one of the leaders. God, we love you and we trust you and we leave this message in your hands. Amen.